All right. And I looked for a song in all of our songbooks and couldn't find one. And got one, or several songbooks given to me by my brother-in-law. And just a few, not enough to spread around, I reckon. But I did find it in that song. And it's kind of where my, my thoughts are this morning for my message. <clears throat> and some of you might know the song. I think I'll sing it. Acapella bit. Uh, some of you know the song, but it's not in any of our songbooks. <clears throat> it's kind of where I was kind of torn because of last year I preached. Um, some of you heard it uh, that uh, last week we didn't have services here. I was preaching off uh, the Preacher's Fellowship there at the, the Fifth Sunday Fellowship there at Bethany. I mean, sorry, at Pollard. Several people was there. So some did remain behind. I know some listened by way of radio and one thing or another. And I preached about love at Island Ford. And so, and the uh, Lord helped me and thought about, we're going to hit love a little bit in our message this morning, but I thought about re-preaching it, but then it didn't come out that way. So uh, this is what the Lord gave me through the week as I was praying and, and, and studying upon the message this morning. And the title of my message is this, the title of this song. And so I'm going to sing the song and then we're going to get into the message. It's entitled, <clears throat> Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. <clears throat> Oh, soul, are you weary at... No, I'm getting off wrong. Let me get it right here in a minute. <clears throat> it's not in the universe. I couldn't think. I, I thought it was. I thought that might be the case. I thought we'd sing it here before. Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and, li and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace Through death into life everlasting He passed and we follow Him there over us sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of His glory and grace His word shall not fail you, He promised Believe Him and all will be well then go to a world that is dying, His perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes. 
eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I think the, one of the phrases in that song, and I thought we would sing it, and, and, and like some song books, they do have it in different titles, and I just couldn't find it. But the one phrase is, that uh, really stood out to me as I was preparing my message this morning was that look full in look full in his wonderful face totally looking at him and i and i've preached along these lines before but not everybody was here before that's here that's here now was here before and i'm not saying it's going to come out the same i guarantee it won't and i and 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 so on and so forth but uh different scripture but one of the things but um if you'll i guess we're going to get started here eh, let's see where we're going to get started Let's get started in Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. So turn your eyes upon Jesus. I, and, and again, where I was preaching last week at Island Ford <clears throat> kind of drove me in thinking in this direction uh, in the fact that, that I dealt with love and getting refocused on our love uh, last uh, that was my message last week. Refocused, we had we're getting tuned up with uh, the trials and how God tunes us, and how we demonstrated on the ukulele over here, the banjo lately, that uh, and, and we and we dealt with how much tension is on the neck of a guitar, and the string tension is around two hundred pounds, depending on the gauge of the of the of the strings on that guitar, the tension and the pressure that's on the neck of the guitar. And of course, the to tune it. If you ever put new uh, new strings on, or uh, you've seen people put new strings on, you know it starts out very loose, and it, and it makes hardly any sound at all. But to get it to where it will make a sound, you have to add the tension, and you keep adding the tension, and adding the tension, and add the pressure, and add the uh, the pressure upon that string, and then you get it to where it's just in tune and. You, you, you fine-tune it by just the, 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 the gentle, gentle move on that key to fine-tune that instrument. And as, as I dealt there, how that we often in our lives, and I dealt with this right before, I think, I preached that message right before our revival services, and trying to help us to get into the mindset of getting in tune with God, and how that God sometimes put pressures of life, and how God sometimes puts... Uh, tension on our lives to get us into tune. And I took my, my text out of Romans chapter 6, and when it deals with us as instruments of sin to unrighteousness or instruments uh, uh, of God or to God or of God to righteousness. And, and there's where, and then so last week, whenever, and I know that Brother Tim was unable to go because <clears throat> of sickness in his home. So he heard my message last week, and then we talked about, and I said something about being tuned, being tuned, and he said, and being you know, and focused. And so because I, I basically preached there about getting our focus, we're out of focus. And I used the camera illustration, how that oftentimes, especially these smart, 
some of these smart cameras, uh, you know, you can, t- you can frame up a, a photograph, and if there's any depth in the photograph, you can actually, I mean, it'll put a little square on your face if you're in the foreground, or a little square on the people's face in the background, and you can touch on this little square on these computerized cameras and tell, you, tell the camera where it wants to focus. So you can blur out everybody in the back and focus on the foreground or vice versa. Blur out the foreground or then you can maybe have a focus for everybody and things like that. Oftentimes when it's not doing what you want to do, you have to turn off and do the manual. All right? And then you manually focus and get what you're wanting to focus on. And there was my message last week. I'm just going to go ahead and preach it. My message last week was focus in our love because so many times we're loving the world and we're loving the things of the world. We're loving our jobs. We're loving our family. And there's nothing wrong with loving your job. I, I enjoy my job, my secular job. But if that's where my whole focus is at, and there's nothing wrong with loving your wife. You're supposed to love her. Husbands, love your wives. I think that's in the Bible, right? <laughs> we can love our wife and our family and get so far out of focus when it comes to loving him first. If we all put him first and get our focus back on God and Jesus Christ, making him the preeminent, this is the introduction because that's where we're getting ready to, making him the preeminent ones, which he is, and getting our focus on God first, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, love God first, then our neighbor as ourselves, but first loving God with all of our heart, our mind, and our soul, then everything else, the focus of our love for all the other things, which is not necessarily wrong, will be where it needs to be. But focusing back where it ought to be, our first preeminent focus of our love should be on God who loved us, Christ, who loved us enough to give his son, and Christ who loved us to give himself for us. And we're going to see that in just a second. It's one of my points. We can start off with that point. So if we start off with that point, that's the way it goes. Let's go to 1 John. Let's just start off with that point. 1 John. First John chapter 3. And I used this last week, so we just, we just flip it around here. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1, we'll read 1 through 3. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Because of that, then the writer here, John, writes the word therefore. Because of that phrase we just read, because, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore... The world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And again, just understanding the the, the love. And of course, I used this last week, and I'm not going to go through all the scriptures I used last week, but I wanted to use the word behold here. Again, because my title of my message, and like we sing in the songbook here, turn your eyes upon Jesus. And he uses the word behold here, and I've used this before, I know, 
to fix the eyes upon, Webster's Dictionary, to fix the eyes upon, to see with attention, to observe with care, to fix our eyes upon. Behold, don't just glance at it. Don't just glance at Christ. Don't just glance at him with a a passing thought. It's not a glance. It's a look, an observant a, a look with observation. There we go. You're observing it. You're examining it. And we see in the Word of God, and in comparison with the Lamb of God, we're going to get there in a minute. How that the sacrifice when he he, he talked about the Passover Lamb in the Old Testament was put up so many days and examined for looking at it in in detail, for blemishes, for spots that would cause that lamb not to be a suitable sacrifice. And in turn, I'm getting ahead of myself, in turn Christ was put upon this earth for three and a half years. And he he told his disciples there in John chapter 14, Brother Glenn was just recently there, because we're in John 15, when he said, if you can't believe me for my word's sake... What about the work's sake? The things that I've done before you, I'm going to turn here and read it verbatim. <clears throat> Philip said, saith unto him, verse number 9 of John 8, I'm sorry, John 14, verse number 8 of John 14. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet, thou, yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. You can believe my words, and if you can't believe my words, he goes on to say here, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Who else has had the power to restore the sight to the blind? Who else has had the power to make the lame walk again? Who else has had the power to raise the the dead from the grave? Who else has had the power to take some loaves and fishes and distribute it among, we heard preached in our revival, among so many, and then there was leftovers taken up. If you can't believe my words, St. Philip, believe my works, that they testify of me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Behold, to fix your eyes upon, to see with attention, to observe with care. And in our point here, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. And we know, the, we know the verse, we say it all the time. If nobody knows any verse out of the Bible, most of the people can come up with a little part of John chapter 3 and verse number 16. For God so loved, there's our word, loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved us. What manner of love he hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. He deals with that in John chapter 1. 
Verse number 11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You're born of God. You see that in John chapter 3. When he deals with, and when he mentions John chapter 3, verse 16, he's talking about, he's talking in the same conversation that he had with Nicodemus. And so when he gets down to 16, he's talking to Nicodemus still. After he told Nicodemus that ye must be born again. And in being born again, you are a son of God. Not the son of God, but a son of God. And if he has shown that much love toward us sinners, who deserves to be in hell with our neck broke or back broke or depending on what person, what preacher, old preacher that you heard. One person said we deserve to be in hell with gasoline pants on. Because when we see ourselves, that's another thing. When Brother Glenn was in our Sunday school hour and he's dealing with the salvation and, and the Holy Spirit in salvation and what the Holy Spirit does for us in salvation. He says, you know, the, the first interaction with the Holy Spirit, oftentimes we feel uncomfortable or we feel, but I was in, in light of where he was at there and he mentions the word clean and being clean by the word of God, we feel dirty. If the Holy Spirit will show us where we're at in our sin, we're blackened, we're putrefying. Our own righteousness is as filthy rags. And when God will allow us to see us that way, then, like he says, there is no hope. I've done too many things. I have, you know, I've been so bad, like he, the, the interaction he had with that one gentleman. And he says, have you killed Christians? But so many times we, we finally see ourselves because the word of God has been preached to us. The spirit of God says, yeah, you're a sinner. You're a dirty, rotten sinner that deserves hell. You say, what? Who, me? I'm a pretty good guy. I pay my taxes. I, I work. I take care of my family. That's not going to get you into heaven. You have to see yourself as a sinner in need of a savior. I once, John Newton wrote, I once was lost, but now I'm found. You know where we, 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 when, we when we can get found? When we admit that we're lost. Amen. We men have a problem with that. <laughs> Honey, we've done past this gas station a half dozen times. I know, I know, I know my way, I'll figure it out. Don't you think you should go in and ask for direction? No, 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 no. I got, I got a GPS built in right up here. I'm good. And then finally, after a dozen more times, we go in and we ask for directions. We have to get to that place where we're lost before we seek the answer to how we can be found. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold what manner of love. Lamb's next. Behold what manner of love that the, fa the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And that in itself is just, 
mind-blowing, unfathomable to understand that now, because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we sing about, applied to my life, my scarlet sins have been covered by the blood, and we and you can get some of those some of those, uh, and this is not this is not mine, but I've used it several times, and the preacher pointed out you can get those little kids' books. It's got a a drawing in black line, and a drawing in a red line, and a drawing in a green line. And you got them special glasses in the back. It's got a green line, a green lens, and it's got a red lens. And if you look at the green, you look at through the at the green at the photograph, the picture here. Through the green line, the green line disappears. And all you see is the red line and the black line on the picture. Then you can switch eyes and you look at it through the red lens, and the red line disappears. You only see the black line and the green line. And it changes the picture. And this preacher pointed out that when he sees me, he sees the blood of the land. My skin's whereas scarlet, which is a red color, right? But then the blood of Jesus Christ, which is also red, is applied to me. So when God the Father sees me through the blood, it disappears. I appear as white as snow. Woo! <laughs> Clean. The red's gone. The sin's gone. What a blessing. And it just unfathomable that as a son of God, beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear. What a day that will be, we sing. Woo. It doth not yet appear. We get a looking around, and we see that you know, we've been dealing with troubles and trials, and we could go around the room and just tell them, tell them all what we're dealing with. But when we get there, and we could go to Romans there, because he says right here, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, or, yeah, uh, what we shall be, but know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. I want to point that out just while we're there, because that goes back to my message last week, and I didn't use it. If ye love me, the Bible tells us in John 14, we were there the other night, John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. If we will see and understand that we as the Son of God are the sons of God, and one of these days are going to appear as, as he is, because we shall be like him. But then that last verse there, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. We ought to strive in our walk on this life to be more like Christ in our daily lives. To a line up, they were first called Christians at Antioch. Why? Because there was a there was a, an, an example in their lives that that lined up with Christ and what they knew of Christ and His ministry here on this earth. So, I think a lot of the questions when we question folks about their salvation could be more should be more. Are you saved? Have you ever been born again? Because if we say, are you a Christian? There's some saved folks that <laughs> don't line up very Christ-like. You know what I'm saying? But we should have, if we get that, if we look at his love and we behold his love for us and we get focused in that love in the right focus, then that should drive us to do that last part to... 
purify ourselves, even as he is pure. To clean ourselves up. I can't clean you up. That was mentioned in Sunday school too. I can't clean you up. I can't clean you up in salvation, but I can't clean you up after salvation either. I can preach the word. You can read the word like he read there in John 15. And the, 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 clean, the, the word cleanses us. You can come and sit under the preached word and the word cleanses us. Those of you in the military understand what a blanket party is. <clears throat> and there was times that people in the military that, you know, either didn't do right and might have gotten a blanket party or people that just, for whatever reason, did not want to take a bath. They had bad hygiene. It has been known that the folks in their basic training group forces them to take a shower, sometimes with some steel wool, <laughs> to, let, to let them, you know, to, to send them a message, you need to bathe. So in that case, maybe somebody can give you a bath, but I can't give you a bath spiritually. I can preach the word. The Spirit of God can take the word and say, you need to work, there's a dirty spot in your life that you need to work on. And then you come out here and you confess that the Spirit of God is telling you right, that the Word of God is telling you right, and you ask Him to cleanse you of that sin. And He's faithful and just to cleanse you of that sin. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Next, John chapter 1. We were there. John chapter 1, he's already mentioned it in Sunday school, and I said, here we go again. He, he, he done stealing my lesson. Or my, my, but it, it's just the way that God lines it up. He referenced this. And it's amazing how God will do this. John chapter 1, verse 29, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, again, to fix your eyes upon, to see with the attention, to observe with care. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after, he, after me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore I am come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw him by record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. So this is the second time John the Baptist has declared, as, as, as preached the message, if you want to put it that way, to behold, to observe with some care, to put your eyes upon, to fix your eyes upon him. He is the Lamb of God. So this second time there was some action. The first time he declared it, the first time he himself, in his declaration, he testified that the Spirit of God descended and rested upon him that he was the Son of God. Amen. He was the Christ. 
He was the one that was coming after him, that's preferred before him. He was the Lamb of God. He makes the second declaration here. Verse number 36, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the, saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And then something happened. Hallelujah that it happened. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And that's what our desire is. That's what Brother Glenn's desire is. That's what everybody's desire is that knows Jesus is that you'll follow him too. We can stand up and we can declare it. We can sit up and point to it, point to him. We can say he's the answer, he's the answer, he's the answer for your sin and your sin problem. You, there's life in him. There's a relationship above any other relationship that you have. He's the father to the fatherless. <laughs> he's the answer. We can say behold, 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 behold. But until you, sinner, turn your eyes upon Jesus, until you examine him as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, until you see other people's testimony. Well, and I know there's people been used in this church, you know, the backgrounds that they were saved out of, drugs, etc., 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 just like John Newton, he was a slave. Not only, he, he had been a slave in, because of his slave trade and, a, and, and, and worked on a, and slave ships and then was the captain of a slave ship at the time of his salvation. But he had to see amazing grace, how sweet the sound... That saved a, here it is, wretch like me. He had to see himself as wretched. As a dirty, rotten, wretched sinner. There are, I heard uh, people's change that. I heard Vestal, Vest, uh, Vest, yeah, Vestal Goodman. We had a Christian radio station there in Kentucky. And I think it was on there. But somewhere along the way, it might have been on one of the Gaither whatevers. But they changed that word. She's saying... Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a soul like me. No, 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 no. You've got to see yourself wretched like John yeah. Newton did. And we can get up here and declare, look, sin, sin is exceedingly sinful. But you're going to have to see yourself as a sinner. We can say he is the Savior that will take away the sin of the world. And we're going to see another passage of Scripture in just a second that points to that. We can, we can say it, we can say it when, until you examine him. Sometimes it's by, I know, I know the old brother so-and-so, before he said he got saved, he was a devil. But something happened. He started going down to that church. He said he heard the gospel. He said he got saved. And I'm, I thought he just turned over a new leaf, but it's lasted. <laughs> There's a change in him. He doesn't cuss like he used to. He doesn't do the things he used to. He doesn't go to the place like he used to. There's a change. And again, we can just plead and beg and just point and pray and pray and pray that you will see that he's the answer, that you will see your need, that you will see your condition. 
But we can't. We can't save you. Faith in Jesus Christ and his death for your sins, according to the Scriptures. His burial and his resurrection the third day, according to the Scriptures. If you believe that, I thought that Brother Glenn was going to quote it again. <laughs> Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 20, 21. It's him alone. Faith in him alone. So, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Talk about the Lamb of God. Behold, turn your eyes upon Jesus and see his love. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and see him as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Hebrews 9 verse 11. But Christ, being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. There's the message. We're going to see what he does with it here in a second. But Old Testament scriptures, blood of calves, blood of goats, year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice, identifying with the sacrifice. They'd bring their sacrifice to the gate of the tabernacle. They'd put their hands on it and basically confess their sin onto that sacrificial animal. And then the person bringing the sacrifice, if you read it real close, it wasn't the priest. The person that laid his hands upon that sacrificial animal, then that person who has now identified that he is a sinner, put his hands in sim symbolism to that, to that animal, then that person slit that animal's neck. And drain the blood. Now, they had to kill the animal. But the priest was there to catch the blood. <laughs> then the priest took the blood and the carcass of the animal and went into the tabernacle to do some business. They took the animal and they, they, they put the blood on the altar. They, they put the animal in a certain order on the altar. And then once a year, year, the high priest went through that for the whole congregation of Israel. But there was that, that recognition that I'm a sinner and that I need to bring a sacrifice and that I had to kill the sacrifice. When you recognize that you need to bring need a sacrifice and you understand because of the scriptures that Jesus Christ was your sacrifice, that it was his blood, and you identify your, yourself as a sinner to him as the sacrifice, there's when business takes place. Amen. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Amen. Woo! <laughs> you mean I don't have to come year after year? No! It's once and for all, and it's forever. Hallelujah. Amen. See why I get excited about being a son of God? <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to lose my salvation. 
It's once and for all and eternal, eternal redemption. The price has been paid once and for all. He goes on. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, I like this, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, we're talking about that lamb, Behold the lamb, he's without spot. Examine him for his work's sake. Examine him for who he says he is. Examine him for his resurrection. Who, by the way, had witnesses of above 500. Who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of, here I love this word, eternal inheritance. You got to remember who the book of Hebrews is written to. It's written to the Hebrews. <laughs> so they still had a mindset of the Old Testament tavern, uh, the Old Testament sacrifices they, they still had a mindset of I still have to come I still have to do something you can't do nothing to satisfy God it satisfied him temporarily but that was blood have anybody here actually took, took a, an animal and sacrificed it for yourself no but there's where their mindset was. We've got to still, we've got to, we're still under the law. We still got to still do this. We got to still, we got to, but then that kind of transfers over. Is there something that I can do? I can just turn over a new leaf. I can treat my neighbor right. I can pay my taxes. I can do this and I can do that. And when I get to heaven, it'll all wait and it doesn't work that way. Amen. No, you have to see yourself as a sinner and you have to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And when you do, it's his blood is for our eternal, eternal redemption. It's, it's, de- it's once and for all. And so that's why John chapter 3, verse 15 says we can have eternal life and, and through belief in him. And that's why John chapter 16 says we can have everlasting life because it's eternal and everlasting. Hallelujah. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and see his love. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and see him as the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and see him as your load bearer. Matthew chapter 11, as your load bearer. Anybody carrying a load today? I, no, no, I, I, we'd be here for all day long, everybody testifying of the burdens that's upon you. Some of you, test, some of you are carrying a burden of sin which I've already alluded to how to get rid of that. But this goes a couple of ways to the sinner that's carrying that burden of sin. That was one of the things that, that in salvation, I know salvation is not of any kind of feeling per se, but when I got saved, I felt some things. <laughs> what, what I noticed first and foremost, some people testify of the peace and I guess I could get, use that word, but when I knelt on that metal folding chair, chair, cheer, metal folding chair <laughs> in the intermediate Sunday school room with the Meadowbrook Baptist Church in Maryville, Tennessee, during Sunday school, 
I just knew that I had the burden of sin, and it was described so so eloquently by John Bunyan in uh, in Pilgrim's Progress, how a Christian had the burden of sin, and he went to Calvary, and he went up to and some when he got to the foot of the cross, Amen. the burdens rolled away. Amen. And there's where I was. I I went down a burden center, and I come up re- with some relief. There was just some relief. I felt clean. I felt some peace. I felt relief. Why? I felt relief for that burden and of sin I was carrying. And I realized it was sin that I was carrying around. And he removed it. I no longer carried. And that's why I was concerned when God called me to preach because I got another burden. Where'd that come from, Lord? I know I'm saved. (laughs) What is this all about? And then he revealed to me through preaching at the Faith Baptist Camp in Resaca, Georgia on Thanksgiving Day, 1990, that he wanted me to preach. And the Friday after Thanksgiving on my love seat on Robbins Air Force Base, Warner Robbins, Georgia, when I said, yes, Lord, I'll preach, then that burden fell away. He's your load bearer, Matthew 11, 27. All things, let's back up a little bit there because... I didn't, I was reading more than what I put here on paper. Let's go back up to 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them, revealed, revealed them unto babes. He allowed people to see. He was looking for a word in the prayer meeting. He revealed it uh, to you, that, that thing. And that's a good word because sometimes we, things are happening and we can't put our finger on. We know that it's God working. We know that it's God moving. We, we, we know that it's God, but we just don't have the exact answer to what he's trying to produce in our life. And then, eventually, ding, he reveals it. It's like, oh, he enlightens us. I think we see that word here in a minute. He enlightens us to that. You know, they say hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, and there's multiple songs. I know the crows write songs, and, we, and again, Christian radio station I work on, multiple songs about the valley. I didn't understand it while I'm in the valley, going through the valley, but now that I'm up here back on the other side on a higher place, I can look back and say, oh, <laughs> I understand, Lord. Sometimes he allows you to see. Sometimes he still doesn't. But sometimes he does. So that, yeah, he revealed them unto babes. Even so, Father... For so it seemed good in thy sight. All things are delivered unto me, this is Jesus talking, of my Father. And no man knoweth the Son. Now wasn't that the discourse that Philip was having with him in John chapter 14? Show me the Father, Lord. (laughs) And here's Jesus going, Philip, you've seen me. You've seen the Father. 
So here it is in Matthew. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father. Neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son. Here's the wonderful, wonderful uh, caveat to that. The Father knows the Son and knows the Father, and, and it's hidden from everybody else until you get here. And, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. The Son reveals the Father. You see the Father through the Son. We serve one God. I know we talk about the three, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We serve one God. He's three in one. But the doctrine of the Trinity, we serve one God who manifests himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, equal in all attributes and power. They're one. But especially over in the New Testament when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is God incarnate, comes and begins to reveal God who is invisible. He's a spirit. (laughs) The invisible God we can't see with our eyes. But he, he begins to use the terms Father because we as human beings understand relationships, familial relationships. We understand, and I know there's a breakdown, especially in today's society, when because of divorce and a lot of other crazy stuff, some people grow up not understanding the full impact of a father in a home. So they're already a little skewed when the preacher gets up and preaches and the teacher gets up and teaches our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Father in heaven, Father. What's, what's what Father all about? The Father in Matthew chapter 6 that takes care of putting clothes on your back. The Father in Matthew chapter 6 that takes care of putting food in your mouth. we got some people that doesn't understand that in the in the natural and so when we teach them about the supernatural father they're already kind of they got to regret it it takes them a little extra to get a hold of but the father or the son reveals the father to them says and then he goes come to me all ye." so once revealed you know this whole thing that that hey just like he read there in john 15 about Answering our prayer in John 14, if, any, you know, if you ask anything in my name, of course, if you love me, keep my commandments. But then we see it here. It says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, that, that has been applied to salvation so many times in messages, but it can be applied in our daily walk as well. You got a problem? You got a burden, child of God? So as a child of God, as a child, and if you have that good father in your home that you could go to with a need and had an open communication and had a great relationship and could say, Dad, I got a need. It was funny that one of my adult children here in the last few years, (laughs) stubborn and hard-headed like his daddy, (laughs) 
had a need and thought that this father could take care of it. And I was able to help him out. But he just would not. I mean, for the longest time, he tried this to get it fixed and this to get it fixed and this to get it fixed. And I was like the last last resort. He just dealt with money. He he just called me up and to borrow some money was the last thing he wanted to do because that in his mind, and we can apply this in our salvation, that in his mind showed, well, in his mind, he got to thinking that that shows weakness on my part. That shows that I can't handle this problem. That shows whatever. But he finally got to the place where he swallowed the pride and said, Dad, can you help me? And I was able to help him. But so many times, that's what our sinner's problems are. We try to fix it, and we try to fix it, and we try to... Or the child of God's father, a child of God's problem. We're a child of God. We've got a heavenly father. We're a son of God. And he loves to behold what manner of love he bestowed us. And we can come to him, and we can pray to him, but we get stubborn and prideful, and we say, nope, I'm going to handle it myself. Child of God, I'm talking to. Not the sinner. I'm talking to the child of God. But you can go to him in faith as a child, in childlike faith, just like you could to father saying, Dad, I need some help. Dad, I hurt. I got a boo-boo. <laughs> I need a Band-Aid. Of course, Dad's like, suck it up. No, <laughs> you go to Mom for that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> You're all right. Get up. Mom is like, come here, honey. (laughs) A father took a daughter with a broken bone and a busted head to the to the better hospital last week. Not the Band Aid Clinic. Why? Because of love, care. Didn't like to see his daughter hurting. Didn't like to see his daughter in pain. Well, our Heavenly Father's the same way. Child of God. Yes, he uses the trials and tribulations and the valleys in our lives. But when we realize that he loves us in doing that, you think about the mercies that you read of Job, you're like, Job lost it all. <laughs> But still, there was mercies in that, in that first couple of chapters when, when he says, you know, the devil says, you got a hedge about him. He says, yes, I do. Mercy of God. <laughs> Pull that hedge in. Let me touch his stuff. Okay. He still had a hedge about Job and his family. Job himself. Or everything else got wiped out. Let me touch his body. Okay, but his soul's mine. He still had a hedge about him. He still had something about Job that the devil couldn't touch. A barrier that kept the devil out from touching. And yes, he may allow us certain trials and tribulations, but there's a purpose when he does. And just looking in the background that says, hey, it could be worse than this, but God's mercies has got a hedge about me. So he's a load bearer. We can come to him and we can lay our 
heavy lay, uh, lay our burden upon him because and his and, and take upon us our our his yoke and put our burdens upon him and I couldn't help to to run this reference real quick we'll get done here humble yourselves in the, therefore in the mighty hand of God first Peter 5 6 and he that he may exalt you in due time casting all your care upon him for he careth for you that applies to the child of God but it also applies to the sinner you can you can bring your burden, the burden of sin that's upon you, and you can lay it upon him. He's already paid the price. We read there in Hebrews chapter 9. But you've got to accept the price that's been paid. I've seen a restaurant. Apparently it's an area that's got some homeless. And I thought it was a pretty decent idea, seeing it here recently on social media, where people pay for meals, breakfast meals and lunch meals. And they just pay for the whole meal, and they put, a, they put the receipt out, like in the, maybe the foyer of the restaurant. And if you're hungry and need a meal, you can go take one of those already paid for meals off to the counter, and they will fill that order for you. That's exactly what it is. You, but you've got to swallow your pride. You've got to see yourself needful. It's already paid for. It's there for your taking. Salvation, eternal life, everlasting life is already paid for and on a receipt. Eternal redemption we read about. But you've got to say, I'm hungry. You've got to say, I'm blind. You gotta say I'm lame. You gotta say I'm dead in trespasses and sins. And then go and take what he done and accept it for yourself. Turn your eyes upon Jesus in his love. Turn your eyes upon Jesus as the lamb. Turn your eyes upon Jesus as a low bearer. And finally, Revelation, I'm sorry, Jude. Jude chapter 1, or Jude 1, Jude 14. You've got to turn your eyes upon Jesus as Lord. Now this is in the future, Enoch. Enoch, in the Old Testament, Enoch. Genesis, Enoch. He testified of something he'd already seen. Jude tells you what Enoch testified of. Jude says, and Enoch also, verse 14, Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying... Behold, now what does that mean? To fix your eyes upon, to see with attention, and to observe with care. And I think the see with attention is where we need to, that's the definition we need on this behold. To see with attention. What, what are we seeing? Behold, the Lord cometh. Woo! But this is not the Lord cometh before he gets me. This is when the Lord cometh after he's got me. Hallelujah. Because I'm in this verse too. And if you're a child of God, you are too. Hallelujah. Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. What's he going to do? To, exercise, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He's coming. Behold, you need to pay attention to this. He's coming and he's coming again. 
this is this is after, this is later on in in pro- prophecy. When he comes again that time, he's coming with ten thousands of his saints, and he's going to execute judgment upon all those ungodly people. And I couldn't help but to see the word "all" in those verses. All their ungodly deeds, all of their ungodly words, he's going to judge. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. Saints of God are going to die physically. And saints of God will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will be judged according to our works. And then, later on in the book of Revelation, death and hell are going to be delivered up. And the dead will be raised up. And they will be judged at the great white throne judgment according to their works. Not that they could be saved at that time. There's no purgatory has already been mentioned. There's no second chances after this death. After this death is judgment for the saint of God and for the unsaved. The saint of God will receive rewards. When we stand before judgment at the judgment seat of Christ... We're going to be judged as by fire, and our works will be uh, gold, silver, and precious stones. That will be to our account. Or some of our works are going to be wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to be burned up, and we'll be left standing in the ashes. And then, But the, the sinner, when you're judged according to your works, you're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And the Bible tells us that is the second death. And your torment, the smoke of your torments will ascend forever and ever and ever. He's Lord. I was going to go with the preeminent one. I mean, we could go to Colossians 1. We could go to Ephesians 1. He is above all. In fact, Ephesians 1 says that. Uh, He's far above. Back up. Let me just get to beginning of this sentence here. Well, Ephesians 1.17. No, it's still... <laughs> Ephesians 1.15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you always, uh, make mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of him. God has got to reveal Jesus Christ to you. Or the Son has got to reveal the Father to you. I'm not Calvinist when I say that. But so many people come in. I remember the day that, I mean, there were services that I was in. I was a lost sinner. I didn't get the revelation, but some other young person or some other sinner in the service got revelation that they were the sinner and they accepted Christ, that, that service for their Savior. But later on, three different times, God dealt with me about my sin. God revealed me to me that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. I said no the first time. I said no the second time. And thanks be unto God, I didn't say no the third time. But I could have. The Calvinists would say, those that are going to be saved are going to be saved regardless. You can't say no. But you can. You can reject. It's a whosoever will 
gospel that we preach. But not a whensoever will, like he pointed out in Sunday school, when the Spirit of God dealing with you, even if it's just a small nudge, the wind bloweth where it listeth. Brother Tim talks about the times of the season of Oklahoma when the wind does not blow, (laughs) and you're begging for it. We was given some wind chimes at, at Andrew's wedding as a gift. We got them hung up on the back. <clears throat> they're not dingling. They're not jingling. They're no, making no sound. Why? The wind's not blowing. But when just the slightest wind, ding, 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 and you're like, ooh, the wind's blowing. Sometimes when it's super still, you're like, I need a breeze. When you're sitting in church and you felt the breeze in the past, you've not felt the breeze of the Holy Spirit of God blowing where it listeth across your soul, and you're just in anticipation, you, you're just waiting and waiting, God, please move again. I'm praying that God would please move again. Saints of God are praying that please God move again on these sinners' hearts. And when the Holy Spirit goes, that's when you need to move. On down in Jude, verse 20, But ye, beloved, building, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Look, judgment's coming. The Lord of judgment is coming. Now is the time, that very, very last verse, 21, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's what you as a sinner, those sinners that are here today, need to do. Look for the mercies of God. Mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ. There we go. Unto eternal life. It's the day of the day that you will come to Christ as your Savior. That you will realize that you're lost and say, Lord, I'm lost. It's not in a prayer. People have testified. Uh, Bob Carrico wrote a song. I met Jesus in the aisle. Because his testimony was, just as whatever song was playing in invitation, he said, when I took a step in faith, salvation took over. Because in my heart, I took a step. In my heart, I believed that Jesus Christ was died for my sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and raised again the third day according to the Scriptures. And in faith, stepped out, and when he did that, he said, I met Jesus in the aisle. I didn't have to get down here and pray a prayer, although some do. They need to get down here and they pray, but you've got a heart and repentance toward God. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm not telling you how to pray. This is just where you've got to be in your mind and in your heart. You are a sinner. God, just like John Newton, I'm a wretched sinner, and I'm begging for your amazing grace. I'm a sinner, and I need your blood applied. What, however it works in you, you will know when salvation has taken place. You will know when the new birth happens. Because you're alive. Currently, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. But you'll be made alive in Jesus Christ. And that's my message.